For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit against submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leavening leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the, only, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Keep in step with the Spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit and, you, spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these like things. <clears throat> I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. As we continue in our grace-filled series, today we look at the relationship between faith and love and our relationship with the Lord, each other and each other. 
And faith, the, the word faith has taken a real beating, and twisting, and flexing, right? Faith, for many of us, has become a mere mechanism um, to get what you want. Living having the right potion or spell or formula or simply the right to tell or demand or get God to answer your prayers and requests and desires. Faith has become believing for something as hard and passionately and strongly as possible to just have faith, to just believe, and that somehow the passion you have will move the divine, will somehow move the circumstances and move things in your direction. With that kind of understanding and, and life of faith, you and I are guaranteed to be disappointed, discontent, and discouraged by the Lord and possibly like many of us already because of the way we've approached faith and thought about faith and exercised our faith, depressed about Christianity itself. And, and people told us, hey, if you just have faith in God will, if you just believe hard enough, you'll be healed. If you just do this, this will change for you. And we did it and it didn't change. And now we're depressed and leaving the faith altogether as an unnecessary commitment or burden or, you know, sometimes faith can just be just another failure in your life because you didn't have enough faith. You ever heard that? You didn't have enough faith. That's why. You didn't have the right kind of faith. That's your problem. Not like me, right? You know what faith is? What you rely on. Why you rely on it. Faith is leaning. And how you lean on it and into it. Faith is the vehicle, right? It is like the stove or grill or cell phone. Faith is like a Wi-Fi router or, or even something static like a chair. But like those things we use every day, faith, like the operation of our religion, is nothing without the right fuel, without the right power without the right signal, right? Without the right composition. Religion, our faith is dead and dangerous. If, as it says here in verse six, if it is not faith working through love. A faith that works and a faith that loves. In three ways I want us to explore today. A faith that works and a faith that loves, right? A faith that works through Number one, God's unconditional love for us. Secondly, a faith that works by God's shared love for us. And finally, a faith that works by God's transformative love to us. His unconditional love, faith by God's unconditional love, shared love, and transformative love. 
So apparently in the church in Galatia, to whom this letter of Galatians was written and sent, there were a couple of groups going at it. There was the circumcision group, right? Who were more aligned with the Jewish, Jewish laws and customs were going around teaching that truly faithful followers of Jesus would keep the Old Testament laws, that baptism wasn't enough as a sign of their commitment and faith to, 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 to that thing, you would have to receive the sign of the covenant of the Old Testament, circumcision. A cutting off of the foreskin of the male genitalia, right? And, and apparently women were brought in via marriage or birth or something. And the apostle Paul was concerned that they were falling back to faith by self-righteousness. Instead of being declared righteous by their full reliance on what Jesus had done. And so he says this in the beginning. And Paul is being extra, y'all, super extra in his confrontation of this dangerous exercise of faith. Look what it says in verse 2, beginning at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have severed. From Christ. Don't you like this language here? You are severed from Christ. You, you who uh, would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Look at that. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything but only faith working through love. Amen. And the verse I want to focus on among all during this sermon is verse 6. He says that circumcision, again, self-ways to be righteous. And then as much as he's against circumcision, he adds in uncircumcision. Pro-circumcision and anti-circumcision both fall short of a faith that works. Now, while I believe that he's speaking louder and more pointed um, to the unsilent minority who is trying to push their circumcision agenda, he is also at the same time guarding against an anti-circumcision movement at the same time, right? The, The apostle is making this point to them and us that faith, Christian faith, works outside of your doing and not doing, and more so through and by God's unconditional love for sinners like you and me. Amen. In fact, the word love Paul uses here in verse six is the Greek word agape. And when I looked at the definition of this word, like I've seen a million times, I, I always thought it just meant unconditional, right? But behind unconditional is the word charity, welfare. Faith works Because God was charitable to you and me. And because the apostle is talking to Christians who are struggling to understand how to live faithfully and holy, he is saying faith, the Christian faith, the exercise of your faith in God happens when and because God is showing you holy charity that God has given and giving you love as welfare. That that you and I are so broke, so poor, 
so failed, so enslaved by it in our attempts, our, our, our lost attempts at righteousness, and our straight up broken behavior, that the thing that unites us to God is not how powerfully or religiously impressive or holy you are or how you hold on to or, or how much you show you can be trusted and honored by God or how much you can stick your chest out and say, I'm holy, but the charity and grace and welfare that God offers, gives, and you receive whether you know it or not on a daily. Amen. It's like waiting for that welfare check. Right? It's waiting. When is it going to come? That's faith. Not I got this, but I sure hope God got me. As much as I might believe in and appreciate democracy for what it is, and it, and it goes against what we want to be as humans, right? This charity stuff, especially United States humans, we want to earn it. We want to make it our own so we can control our, our resources. I earned it. I can do what I want with it. That's the end of it, right? Faith is ultimately reliant on God's governance of grace that we need. That's why he says here that we patiently wait for righteousness. It's not ours to just go and get. It's God who has graciously given it. And like a government check, you just wait. Gospel faith is not a democracy. It's not capitalism, though that might be best and good for how we choose to run our country. I'm not getting into a debate here. I'm just trying to use an illustration. Gospel faith is a welfare and charity state led by a trustworthy, benevolent monarch and daddy of unconditional love for sinners. Faith is trusting that, relying that God's government will uphold and continue to be charitable with divine welfare benefits for broken sinners. But the unconditional love of God, is my mic acting up a little bit? Oh, okay. All right. But the unconditional love, do I need the other mic? Okay. But the unconditional love of God that makes faith work, that makes this relationship between you and God and you in this world work, is not only grounded in God's charity, but God's passion for us. I don't know whether you can hear it, but Paul is battling and begging people who are passionate about their faith, about how they feel they please God, right? So much so grown men are willing to be circumcised, right? That's passion. I ain't that passionate. Some of y'all don't want to go to see the doctor for other things. Some of us would rather die. We ain't that passionate to even live. Much left, hey, I'm saved because, yeah. Back in the day, we did just use kind of a sharp, sharp flint knife or something. No, no. Hate to be so, but so you can get it, right? That's passion. So you don't get it twisted. The circumcision group, we're probably the holiest, right? These are the people you say, they holy. Look at them. They never miss Bible study. They never miss community group. They're the first ones in church. They're the ones who come to their seated church and pray at it on their knees before sitting in it. 
to eat on Sunday. They strict Sabbatarians. They look at you like, look at them folk making somebody work. I'm trusting God, right? They're the people you wish you were like. That's why they're gaining a following in Galatia, right? Because you're like, man, if I could only be like this family. They have family devotions on Sunday, every Sunday at the same time. They're the most moral and committed people in society. These are not bad people, y'all. But in asking people to stick to religious ceremony and outward behavior change in Old Testament orthodoxy, their passion was not only misplaced. Paul's point is, it isn't enough to make faith, the gospel faith, their relationship with God trustworthy and work for them and others. Look at what he says in verse 7 through 12, continuing on. He says, you were running well, talking to the people there. Who who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Remember the little leaven? All you need is three holy people and you'll think your faith ain't real. Okay? Holy in the outside way. Right? I look at, I don't think it's one of y'all. I go to y'all house. Y'all look so holy. Y'all have us over or something. I'm like, man, this is a holy family. We believe in. We ain't holy, Kelly. Right? I got to change. I got to be like them. It happens, a little leaven. Well, the leaven's a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul is saying, if you start living and then believing that, that this is your goodness and what you do or don't do, your religiosity and personal spirituality and holiness, that you believe that saves you and then keeps you safe, that even if you live like that's true, right? He says, you will fall back. Amen. He calls it falling back into slavery of having to save yourself in your own power. Now, I want to be careful here. Because I know in your mind, and I just did it, there are those holy people, right? And that's not me. No, all of us fall back into the slavery. We all think about new ways to be acceptable to God that kind of overshadow what he's already done in Christ Jesus. So let this speak to every single one of us. He reminds them, Right? You don't want to fall back to a religion where you have to save yourself in your own power. He reminds them, Christians, right? If you're a Christian in the room, you call yourself a Christian, let me go ahead and say, remind you, right? You became Christians. You know why? Did you remember the vows I just read to these girls? Because you believed, now this is what you say, that you couldn't save yourself by your own righteousness. Right? That's how you came into the faith. You actually believed you were sinners. You actually publicly admitted in order to get baptism, right? You publicly admitted that you were too broken to put yourself together again, right? You admitted that to have a relationship to God, right? You needed someone else not to help you, not to give you the one, two, three, not to just be your personal trainer, to save you. Amen.
And to go back to living according to your own ability to write yourself and write this real and everybody else in your own way would mean, hear me, hear me, it would mean you would have to try real hard and then ultimately fail to be better than you could possibly be, right? You're going to fail again. Your faith will fail and become nothing. And he gets so passionate himself about it, the apostle tells the circumcision group that he wishes that those pushing the self-righteous, self-writing extra stuff for holiness agendas would cut the whole thing off. That they would be castrated. And I mean, it's a double meaning here. You know, he's kind of saying, look, if you really want to be holy, take the whole thing. And take the whole thing so you can leave other people alone. Right? I, I want you uneffective in this group. Right? Your passion, and the point is well taken, your passion to live, and we love passion in this society. Oh my gosh. This, your passion to live this way is not enough to please God. But hear this, it's more than enough to injure you spiritually and socially and actually cut you off from knowing God's grace like you could for yourself and for others. You know what's the most faked feeling of faith in our world today? The feeling of passion. Oh, we love passion. Whether it's religion or anti-religious, politics, sexuality, race. I'm just saying these words and we could check your heart rates. He said race. He said politics. Let me say one. Trump. Oh, see? <laughs> see? Look at that. Amazing. If we had a heart meter, yeah, uh, 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 right? <laughs> Impeachment. See? See what I mean? Ethnicity, college football playoffs. <laughs> college football championship. LSU, oh, right? Passion. Kelly's like, why aren't you wearing your Clemson shirt today? Money. Right? We look and feed off. I went to Clemson, y'all, just so y'all, just in case y'all didn't know. So, and we lost. It's rare. We look and feed off and express our passion passionately for things, and we convince ourselves on how we act and how much we flash the colors or how well we argue our point that the thing is true. that the thing we're believing and passionate about is working for us and for God. You ever heard the term? I heard it so many times going up to that championship game. Team of destiny. What's that mean? Have you ever seen message boards before a game? 
Everybody is analyzing. I got tired. I hated that the championship was two weeks off from the last game because for two weeks, the radio and the writers, well, this is going to happen. It's just, and Stephen A. Smith, let me tell you, right? <laughs> Sweating. Let me tell you who's going to win and why. You have no idea. That's working for us and changing us. True enough to be our sense and feel, get this, of righteousness. Dangerous. We have wrongly believed that if we believe or want it badly enough or strongly enough, and if we kind of have it figured out that this is the thing that's going to right the world enough, if it is most right thing to want for or feel convicted enough that our belief is right and it will work for us and fix hard things. I heard a pastor the other day, I didn't have this written, but I just go ahead and tell y'all that there were like two rock climbers and one was real passionate. He says, I'm going to jump in this rock. The other side is going to hold me. And the other one's like, I'm not sure. I'm going to take this one. Why? I don't know. And the passionate one, the one that knew so much jumped and the rocky jumped too fell. He died. The other one who wasn't passionate jumped and the rock stayed. It wasn't the passion that saved him. No, that's right. Right. It was the object of the other side. But the Bible is teaching that our passion does not make faith work. Your extra active commitment does not make faith work. Your deep desire for something does not make biblical faith work, right? How does Paul put it? Your passion in and of itself when it comes to having a relation with God counts for nothing if if it is the primary thing driving your belief and determining how you live. Passion follows God's passion. God's passion doesn't follow your passion. Right? We, we're hoping. We get way ahead of God. I do all the time. Oh, I just believe this. This is the new vision. You, you, heard, you know the new sermon series, everybody? It's 2020. We can see clearly. Maybe. And our drive to self-righteous might count for nothing, as Paul says, as far as being right with God. But it does not do nothing. That's the problem. Because the Bible is teaching that the faith result in love, faith should result in love. But, stuff, but this stuff was producing anything but. So when I say it's nothing, it just means it doesn't really work as far as biblical faith is concerned. It's like putting water in a gas tank. Right? Oh, this the good water. This the Evian I'm putting in my gas tank. So what? That's that good sugar I'm putting in my gas tank. Guess what? You're going to mess your engine up. But even though when you push that gas, nothing's going to happen, something's going to happen, right? You might not go anywhere, but it's going to destroy some things. Look at what this faulty faith, fueled by and relying on self-righteous passion causes. And it is two-fourth, right? Two-sided. You have the religious, legalistic, faulty faith. And on the other side, the irreligious, rebellious path. But both are opposed to biblical faith that results in love. Back to what our key verse says in verse 6. That faith working through love and through as we have understood means fueled by, as fueled by God's love. But it also means faith, true biblical faith works only as and if it results in love. Agape love. The love of God love. 
And the circumcision faith and attempt to prove that they were okay to themselves and try to fix their world with their morals and, and right behavior by their own goodness and righteousness did what instead it actually went against Christ in the end. It took holiness away. It, as Paul says, troubled and unsettled. These are the words he used and upset and enslaved people by being legalistically religious and politically and ethnically and socially so committed to their stuff. He says this about it in verse 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's what he's saying. If you are and were truly faithful, your actions and behavior and your convictions wouldn't be violent and mean. and behavior driving, right? We want it easy. Just change your vote. Just change your behavior. We don't really care about this as much. That's too hard, right? It will not mean dragging and plowing others down. It will be what? Let's, let's just jump forward in verse 22. It'll look like what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Faith working through and working out and coming out in love is not dogmatism, right? It's not shooting people with your high-powered doctrine or political gun, right? It's not shaming others. Hear me now because this list's going to be a little mixed up for some of y'all. The heart meter going to go up a little bit. It's not shaming others who are not as socially savvy as you or coolly living on the relevant spectrum of mercy and social justice issues. See, we lean that way, so I'm, I'm, I'm confronting everybody today. It's not ignoring folks because they are not as young as you are, or because they wear a MAGA hat. See? Hate jumps, doesn't it? I don't trust them. I can't go to church with them. Why? That's not the primary basis of faith Amen. or voted for the current president. We got people ashamed to say they voted for President Trump with their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, I know things complicated, but there's a simplicity here that we have to embrace. And I got to say these kind of things in our kind of church. And I feel real scared saying them, but I got to say it. Right. This is circumcision and uncircumcision. Galatia, the church of Galatia is so much like this church in Corinthians. It's crazy. We are just like them sometimes, apparently. Or because they are white and not woke, we mistreat people. We ignore them. They say something to us about the Lord, shut up. You, ain't, you white and you ain't woke. I don't want to hear from you. Or because someone may have questions or are searching about their sexuality. Sit down, shut up, get with the program. Or because they are for or against the impeachment. Or don't think abortion is the most important issue. And not the, that these things are not important, because they are. But they can become fuel and passions for a faith that does not work because it has a hard time loving. 
circumcision is parallel to your kind of abiding convictions. Politically, socially, the secondary stuff, the tertiary stuff. Now, we realize that the secondary and tertiary stuff may point to something in the heart that might not be right, right? Or an misunderstanding of something. But the scripture is teaching that to get to correction or righteousness is, is faith to lead, that the faith to do that cannot be marked with devouring one another. I'm guilty. And devouring doesn't mean you have to confront anybody. It just means you leave them out there and you leave them alone. I do it. I don't mess with them folk. Because I don't want to go to their house and watch Fox News. Right? Why? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with us? We have another righteousness. We're exercising our faith on something else. And it doesn't come out in love. It comes out in hate and separation and devouring and destroying. And the Bible says consuming one another. You know what a consumed church looks like? A church where everybody believes the same tertiary issues. You know why? Because they've consumed all the people who tried to be a part and didn't agree. Right? So you got a whole church of people who believe the same things beyond the gospel. Because that was the main thing. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying not to make like the multi-whatever diverse church, you know, the holy thing, because that can become circumcision in and of itself, right? Its own sort of thing. But at the same time, you got to wonder. There are churches and neighborhoods that are diverse in a city that is diverse, but we can't worship together. Why? And I know there's some real doctrinal issues. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about churches that have doctrinal whatever, uh, good stuff, and yet they've devoured the ones who are politically, ethnically, or socially different. And I started with the religious side, because I think Paul did on purpose. But these believers, were, you know, these circumcision group, were, you know, were concerned about what Paul addresses in verse 13. Look at what verse 13 says, right? It says this, uh, for, for you were, no, no, yes, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So let me talk about flesh. Flesh could be you got a holiness conviction that makes you treat, treat people wrong because of your secondary issues, right? But flesh can also mean what we see in verse 19, what the circumcision group was concerned about. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. That means it comes out in your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I warn you. And as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the things that stick out on our mind are the orgies and all that stuff, right? The sensuality, the sexuality. So there was good reason for the circumcision, the holiness, religious crew to be concerned. If you are doing those things, it can mean that you're not in the kingdom. 
that you're not committed to the kingdom or stopping or inhibiting God's bringing of the kingdom. And the circumcision group, like what we see today for many Christians on the right and the left, we long, come on guys, most of us long to see the kingdom come and our soldiers crusading for it by any means necessary. And they think that God is impressed and pleased by that. They can quickly become our righteousness, our passions, become why and how we interact with God and others. And it will inevitably not produce a result in how faith works or God gave it to work, as verse 14 says, in love. That you can't be righteous if anything and everything you do is not fueled by his unconditional love not only for him and, and his righteousness, but how you treat others. That makes Christianity so hard. Oh, man. I mean, Pastor Amari and Josh and I went to a four-year seminary. We took all the length. We did a thing. If we could just be theological and dogmatic, we would be so godly. But then it's like, you got to love your wife. You got to love your kids. You got to love others who are different than you. Man, really? Yes. It can't just be about believing the right thing and doing all or jumping through the hoops. That ain't Christianity. Amen. That's some kind of false religion. If I were to tell you that my passion up here, and I've heard it, you're a real passionate pastor on great. I'm going to let y'all know something. It's dangerous to let y'all know, but I'm going to let y'all know. Don't say oh. <laughs> my passion up here and my work to give you the word of God has cost my wife and children dearly at times. The way I yelled at them to come on, hurry up, we got to get the church. The way I say, leave me alone, because I'm all depressed and grumpy about stuff at the church, right? Not keeping promises to Clark to take him to the gym while I perfect my sermon, because I'm so godly. And maybe even cussed at them in my mind and sometimes my mouth. In order not to hurt my pastoral calling, Would you call that faithful? I'm so faithful. Such a passionate pastor, right? Preaching the truths of God and at the same time doing little things that demean and damage my family because of my self-righteousness and drive to be something. And sometimes God's not enough. It ain't got nothing to do with pastoring. I want to get on that GTA 5. Shouldn't be playing that game, but okay. If y'all know what GTA 5 is, good. Don't judge me. Yeah, judge me. It's fine. For hours, I just want to play. I want to steal the latest car in the game, right? Sometimes for entertainment, and I entertain and look for excitement. I eat too much and drink and watch TV and over demand and underwork and sometimes I under care for myself. I got both passions at work just like you. 
working within me. And this is all of us, y'all. I'm just the first among us to say it publicly this morning. But we got a lot of repenting to do, don't we? Because on the way to being righteous today, we were not loving to each other. Our righteous, missional, theological, social justice passion is dangerous. It will disappoint and does not and cannot love like we should without being informed and fueled by how God has loved us. Hear me. Our passion does not make biblical faith work in us in our world. God's passion for us does. If you look up the definition of passion, you'll get the first definition, which is the passion we've been discussing. A strong and barely controllable emotion. That don't sound like the fruit of the spirit, self-control. But anyway, moving on. Um, but that comes from, as the Bible says, your flesh, the place of your fears, the place of your insecurity, the place of your drive and hunger. And then the second definition. The sufferings and death of Christ. In faith, y'all, in Christian living, the second passion must become the first. Amen. We must look to not our passions for holiness and righteousness, even justice and mercy, but to his passion in the death and sufferings of Jesus and not pushing for our own. In fact, Paul says we eagerly wait for righteousness in verse 5, and we must trust as we look to and what Jesus was willing to suffer in and for all that you and I are passionate about bearing all our desire for righteous and unrighteous things, that he and what he did become the reason and the primary reason why we rely on God and not ourselves. That we lead into God's righteous accomplishment and making us sinners his that we actually believe God so loved people like us, you and me, that Jesus was metaphorically emasculated so that we wouldn't have to be righteous on our own, that Jesus was mistreated so we didn't have to, that Jesus took all the passion so we could rest ours in what he did as Lord so that we could without doubt live in God's favor to be in the faith, to believe and to take faith. And you wonder why the Bible keeps not beating a dead horse, but pointing to the death of our Lord as, as the reason you do anything, that God showed his passion for you and me to have you and me, to have sinners be and stay as children through what Jesus already did to have us. Faith is knowing and receiving and relying on God's passion instead and more than you do on your own feelings. And relying on that will produce love. Amen. So it makes sense what Paul says here in verse 24. And I didn't even see it like this before. Let's look at this verse. And it says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Whether religious, holy, moral passion from the flesh or irreligious, rebellious passion. Paul is saying our passions, good and bad, must die with his. Y'all hear that? That our passions must be taken on him. They must be crucified. That, that they must be entrusted in what God has done to make us right and make this world right. And that, hear me, only then as our passions has been laid on and relied on Christ Jesus. I love me more than anybody else. Lord, help me. That's taking it to the cross. Lord, I don't love these people because they love that president. 
It's hard, Lord, for me to trust these folk around me and love them because A, B, C, and D, I'm so passionate about this. Only you can take that away as I focus on how you took it away on the cross. That's faith. And trusting God with our passions, that's difficult. I don't want him to have all my passions because I know what he's going to do. He's going to crucify him. But here's the blessing. The passions that are crucified in Christ, hear me, y'all, aren't ultimately destroyed, right? They don't ultimately just die. Some of them need to, but some don't. They rise like Jesus did to new life and new love. Now the passions you have that have been crucified in the love of God for us in Christ Jesus rise and become mission and mercy and action for the glory of God. But until you've taken it there first, it cannot live and work in love the way God calls it. We wonder why there's more fighting by Christians in the church than real power. Amen. We're great fighters. Social media, talking up. Sometimes we even wear T-shirts that say really absurd and, and obnoxious things. Now, I'm not going to take time on the Holy Spirit, not much, because we already did it in our last sermon. But how does God change our passion? The Holy Spirit comes. And the Bible says, walk in the Spirit. Not what the Spirit does as we walk in Him. It means walking with God. And God walking and working in you. Transformative faith is about God, the Holy Spirit, having us, y'all. Living in us and with us and walking with us in ways that cut us beyond performance and beyond what we see and beyond what we can ever believe and beyond what we can do. Do you know why it's so hard to curb our passions? Because it's happening in here. The Holy Spirit can go where we can't go. Because God loves us and has expressed that love in Christ Jesus in a way we didn't or couldn't. Walking in the Spirit doesn't just mean working with God. It means being carried by God. We can be cruel and judgmental. You ever see a couple and think, how? <laughs> Just from outward appearances. Huh? Especially at Christmas when everybody comes out. You're like, why and what does she see in him? I mean, it is plain to see what he might see in her, but I, I, I don't get it. He must be rich or something, right? That's what you think in your mind, because we all judgmental. 
He got a nice car or something. See how men think? Got a nice car, right? Something is wrong with her that we don't know about and on and on. And sometimes you can get behind the story and oftentimes it's just that he never stopped loving and pursuing me. He proved he could be trusted. God has sent his Holy Spirit to us, his love interest, if you will. And he's working on our hearts below the surface and giving us faith by proving and impressing our hearts just how much he loves us and can be trusted by us. And the world looks on and it wonders, unable to see who God is. Why are they so joyful? Why are they so loving? Why are they so patient? Why are these Christians so peaceful and kind and good and gentle and self-control, so committed to their faith, so passionate about their Lord? It isn't the believer's passion they are seeing or that counts here. It's always been God's unconditional, shared, and transformative work in us and loving us. It is a faith that works and a faith that loves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you. You are a guide, God, that we can rely on. Lord, we're not good. And oftentimes we think we're real good. And both are the flesh working against true faith. Lord, do something in our hearts. Help us to take our hearts that, that are hard to love each other, hard to believe it's your unconditional love, hard to not make our faith conditional. And Holy Spirit, come and put our hands in God's hands. Put our hearts and lives in God's hands. And Lord, this is our prayer. We would know his love through the Holy Spirit. That that even some of us would feel his love and experience it in ways that transform us. And in that, let our faith live and work and love. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.